Omajina Krimananda Sha Jina Jina Salakaya Chakshon Milikanyena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namha Vanchakopadu Bischa Kupasidu Bhavacha Patita Nam Pamadevyo Vaishnavija Namona Maha So good evening everyone we're going to continue to discuss this, e- this evening um, from Srila Bhakti Vinod's Bhaktiyaloka, um, significant, uh, bringing out the significance in his essays. Um, of the six items that are unfavorable and the six items that are favorable to devotional practice. So we discussed in the last class uh, achahara, the hara. Ahara means taking in more than is required for uh, for maintenance. So we all have a material body and it needs to be maintained and the senses need to be satisfied to a certain extent. So that ahara of the senses um, uh, relates to a regulation of the senses in such a way that they are gradually brought under control and then gradually transformed into fully spiritualized senses. So, the translation, one should not uh, eat more than necessary or collect more funds than required, is a, uh, in Bhakti Vinod's terminology, is a constitutional directive. Whereas in the first verse, uh, uh, he refers to the Uttara Vegam, that that was Vacha Vegam, Manasa Krodo Vegam, Jiva Vegam, Jiva Vegam. He refers there to controlling the tongue. Uh, uh, But that's a conditional. He he refers to that, uh, as presented in the first verse, as a condition of uh, the position of one who is in the renounced order of life. Whereas the constitutional provision, uh, achahara, ahara being the senses, sense gratification, is a constitutional provision in that all devotees have to take on this, this gradual controlling of the senses withdrawing them from their material objects and redirecting them towards spiritual objects. So that, that, is the, that is making the sense objective Krishna and everything related to him. And as we discussed last week, it's not possible to turn the senses off. So... And if we turn the senses off, then there's no 
basically you become a dead body. Mm. So I think we more or less covered the 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 proper understanding of Ahara last week, of of seeing the senses in relationship to a spiritual objective. Uh, it's not something that's accomplished overnight, uh, just as Krishna consciousness is not accomplished overnight. For the most part, it's a gradual culture. We're changing the culture of our intent in life. Uh, and as soon as we come in contact with the sadhus, we get some experience of, of, a, of a life that has a higher intent and a, an, a, an intent that's fully satisfying to us and an intent that is always enduring. And we engage in a process of devotional practice, which is wonderful from beginning to end, because there is no end. Whereas everything that we begin in this world has an end. So that under unending endeavor of devotional practice is is fully in harmony with our nature, which is itself eternal. Uh, so, Rupa Goswami's second verse, Achyahara Priyasascha Prajalpo Niyamagraha. Uh, this pra Prayasa, uh, Prayasa, Yasa is endeavor. So we have some endeavors. Um, everything in this existence revolves around some intent on our purpose and some endeavor uh, to fulfill that intent. So Rupa Goswami is saying here, well, over-endeavor is not going to serve our devotional practice very well. It's not going to... It's not going to satisfy us because... In the material world, all endeavors, except those in the mode of ignorance, <laughs> uh, are over-endeavors. What we mean by that is, everything is being provided naturally in this world. Uh, so... Over-endeavoring, priyasa, means endeavoring for that which really has no value in relationship to our true self. So those endeavors fall into different categories. Of course, uh, we endeavor for enjoyment and for enjoying the fruits of our endeavors. Uh, so those are we. Those are karmic endeavors. 
and those endeavors may be done in accordance with higher directive. Uh, or they may be done whimsically uh, based on our own foolishness. We may uh, initiate certain actions uh, which do not take advantage of directives as to how such things should be done so that there's a quick attainment of our desire and an attainment that doesn't have uh, an adverse effect. So Krishna has given so much direction in the Veda as to how one can conduct their endeavors in life. And in the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, um, he's covered everything pretty thoroughly. And the great sages have elaborated on that, uh, adjusted it according to time, place, and circumstance. Uh, unfortunately, we're in the age of Kali, and and it's impossible to even light a fire successfully. So we note at the beginning of uh, the sages of Namasharanya, they're trying to conduct a sacrifice. But Kali has come. Kali Yuga has come and all they have is smoke. It's very difficult to find qualified Brahmins, to find uh, the qualified, the, the sanctified ingredients to perform sacrifices uh, successfully. And there with the stage is set for the topmost endeavor, which is simply uh, hearing and chanting about the Supreme Lord. So, Karmakanda, uh, Prayasa, which is based on fruit of desire, Jnana karma, jhana karma, uh, jhana uh, priyasa, uh, which is based on uh, attainment of of freedom uh, from material suffering. These different endeavors are there from the bhakti school of thought. We look upon any of these endeavors uh, as over-endeavor. Our path is very simply. We do have endeavor in bhakti, but it's not towards the goals of the materialist. It's not towards the goals of the liberationist. Uh, it's towards the goal of developing a loving relationship with the Supreme as exemplified by the sadhu whose association we've been blessed with. It's coming down, it's coming in a very particular way, it's fully independent. Somehow we have, we have been touched by bhakti and the endeavors of the materialist, the endeavors of the liberationist, uh, they pale in comparison to the the slight endeavor to accept the mercy 
of the sadhu. So, despite the fact that it's said that devotional practice, pure devotional service is rarely attained, still, that does not mean that it's not attainable. What it means is the foolish people have little desire in this thing, this bhakti, this rare gem, this diamond among piles of pebbles. Uh, they have little interest in that. So therefore, it's, it's considered rarely attained. Um, for someone who's come in contact with bhakti through the sadhu, it's truly easily attained because the desire of the sadhu in and of itself is sufficient to carry us to the goal. Uh, provided that is, we are somewhat careful uh, to to follow his directives in a way that are that is pleasing. And even sometimes it isn't pleasing. His mercy is beyond bounds. Because what? It's again, it's not, doesn't fall under these uh, provisional endeavors for, for material enjoyment, karma, and these endeavors, priyasa, for liberation. Or the liberation of the of the yogi to to become a controller and then to attain the mystic opulences and again his his objective being one of of liberation in the supreme. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur he refers in his commentary on this priyasa to. He looks at it, there's only really two. There's jnana and there's karma. Uh, and he points out, of course, items that we've covered pretty thoroughly uh, from Enduria Kadambani regarding the, the objectives, the, the, uh, the ultimate... Uh, the ultimate goal of the of the jnani the attainment of uh, merging into the supreme brahma nirvana um, so he takes this priyasa that rupa goswami is referring to and he says this refers to the jnanis and the karmis and the devotees truly have no interest in such over-endeavors. Now, does that mean the bhakti is lazy? No, he also has his endeavor. But why break your back for something, endeavor for something, which is a byproduct of the simple path of bhakti as enunciated by the sadhus. So liberation runs to serve the devotees. 
to free them, even at the very beginning stages, the first two leaves of Sadhana Bhakti, one of those two leaves is what? Kleshagna, which refers to all material miseries are eliminated. And going further, at a, at a certain stage, the bhakta, he decries even the concept of liberation. He has no interest in liberation at all. So what must he be experiencing where he can so easily dismiss that which the majority of intelligent people, the jnanis, strive for repeatedly life after life. How can he so quickly dismiss it as on an equal level? Nadanam, Najanam, Nasundarim, equal to wealth, equal to women, equal to material prestige. Uh, I only want this service life after life. Life after life, meaning there's no, I don't care. Liberation means to end this life after life business. And the bhakti's saying, it's no problem at all, this life after life thing. I can do this forever because I'm fully satisfied. So how wonderful must bhakti be? He quotes some verses to bring his points home. Uh, and he, he quotes from the 10th canto of Bhagavatam, wherein Brahma is trying to, uh, well, he's basically, basically at this stage talking to a disinterested Krishna. I mean, Brahma has, he's, he's pushed the limit of his uh, mystic powers, his siddhas, he's tried to 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 test uh, Krishna, and Krishna has proven his his test completely inadequate. Uh, so much so that Brahma's completely bewildered when when Krishna reveals to him that all these cows and calves and cowherd boys are myself, Brahma is just, he's dumbfounded. What have I done? So, at this time in the Leela, He's trying to make some amends. He's trying to appeal to Krishna's godhood a little bit. Of course, Krishna's not in his godhood <laughs> mode. He's enjoying with his cowherd voice. And here's this guy, and he's like offering me prayers. And, you know, so what? I just, I, sh he tried to steal my calves. He was gone. They were gone for a moment, so I just filled in, you know, uh, for the year. Mm -hmm. And it was really nice. It was nice because I got to really get in tight and experience some, some very, very intimate loving exchanges as, uh, 
with all the residents of Vrindavan, which I couldn't do. Uh, I had parents that weren't my parents, and uh, I had calves that weren't my calves, and I, I cow herded, so I tasted some sweetness there that uh, was, was very nice, and I know my devotees tasted a sweetness that was extraordinary, uh, and I even dumbfounded my brother, and that was pretty far out. <laughs> he couldn't figure it out until the very end. When I when I allowed him to see what was going on, so still, so Brahma's still trying. He's trying somehow or other. He says, "The Supreme Lord is not obtained by expert explanations, by vast intelligence, because in the universe I'm the most intelligent. I can't figure out what I just saw." or even by much hearing. He is obtained only by one whom he himself chooses. To such a person he manifests his own form. So Bhaktivinoda using this verse, he say, the bottom line is, Krishna is going to make you conscious and aware of him when he's ready to. When he's ready to reveal himself, Nothing can stop that revelation. And up to that point, there's no endeavor you can engage in, no prayasa that you can do that is going to make him reveal himself. Again, he quotes Brahma. Lord Brahma said, my, Oh, my dear Lord Krishna, a devotee who abandons jnana prayasa, the path of empirics, philosophical speculation aimed at merging in the existence of the Supreme and engages himself in hearing your glories and activities from a bona fide sadhu or saint and who lives an honest life in the occupational engagement of his social life can conquer you, your sympathy and mercy even though you are a jita or unconquerable. Brahma goes on to say, My dear Lord, devotional service unto you is the only auspicious path. If one gives up simply for speculative knowledge or the understanding that these living beings are spirit souls and the material world is false, he undergoes a great deal of trouble. He only gains troublesome and inauspicious activities. His endeavors are like beating a husk that is already devoid of rice. One's labor becomes fruitless. So he's speaking of, of one who has some, he's been exposed to knowledge of bhakti, but instead he takes the path of jnana. He has, he's, he's been exposed somehow or other. And he's, well, but I want to understand everything. I want to figure it all out for myself. Uh, I want to know, what's he say here? I want to know what spirit souls and the material world is false. To understand all that perfectly is a great amount of endeavor for the jnani. And 
the fruits already there easily available to him through bhakti so all this other endeavor and in bhakti all that knowledge is included it's all included when you know the source of all knowledge well you know knowledge you know all knowledge of significance and really what knowledge do you <laughs> when we look to the leelas of krishna in Raj, we notice that we're dealing with simple cowherd folk that have the deepest philosophical understandings, so much so that they can defeat the Supreme in their arguments. They didn't really need to be schooled in some gyan to defeat Krishna in their loving affairs with him. So you're beating to give to give up the simple path of bhakti and take to gyan or take to to, to karma uh, to taste some fruits it is simply like beating rice patty where there's no rice there. Now, Bhaktivinoda does say there is a little knowledge that one can take that's favorable to bhakti. Some little endeavor in jnana is is favorable to us. Uh, there's the knowledge of the Bhagavatam, the four slokas, Chatur Sloka, uh, to understand the Chinta Beta Beta. And there is some endeavor for the householder in prayas, in karmakanda. Uh, he follows dharma uh, in order to give an example to society uh, in such a way that's, that's favorable uh, for his devotional practice. He has to, he has to keep... Um, He has to provide uh, for his physical arrangement. It's not that he can just give that up. So there's a little endeavor there. So he uses a little karma, uh, the dharma of karma kanda, uh, to his advantage. And then Bhaktivinoda quotes some verses from Bhagavad Gita to solidify uh, the point regarding the fact that devotional service in and of itself is sufficient uh, to grant whatever we would require in life. The Supreme Personality of Godhead said, those who fix their minds on my personal form and are always engaged in worshipping me with great and transcendental faith are considered by me to be the most perfect. But those who fully worship the unmanifested, that which lies beyond the perception of the senses, the all-pervading, inconceivable, unchanging, fixed, and immovable, the impersonal conception of the absolute truth, 
by controlling the various senses and being equally disposed to everyone, search persons engaged in the welfare of all, at last achieve me. For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifested, impersonal feature of the supreme advancement is very troublesome. Their priyas is very difficult. Over-endeavor. To make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So these two endeavors, Yan and Karm, uh, are the priyas, uh, as for this commentary of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, which constitute an over-endeavor which is unnecessary for the bhakta to take on in his devotional life. Uh, some little knowledge is required, uh, some little endeavor is required, but not the stringent uh, regulated life of the karmakanda, karmakandi, uh, the devotee works in dharma uh, simply to keep body and soul together. And the jnani, who is so hell-bent on figuring everything out, he's got to know it all. Uh, the bhakti also does not need to go that deep. A chinta beta beta, understanding the simple truths of the nature of what is matter and what is spirit, and the fact that uh, the essence of the Bhagavatam, as provided uh, in Chatur Sloki, Bhakti Vinod Thakur says, that in and of itself is sufficient uh, for the priyas of. of of bhakti. He concludes the sections with uh, with a couple things, and then he throws in something just to uh, just to make a very important point. So he takes from the 11th canto. Uh, it says, Devotion, direct experience of the Supreme Lord and detachment from other things. These three occur simultaneously for one who has taken shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Devotion, bhakti, direct experience of the Supreme Lord and detachment. These come automatically simultaneously um, I believe at that same place uh, discussion is there of, of just as the person who is hungry he is nourished his hunger, his appetite is, is satisfied and uh, he experiences the joy of eating and then Bhaktivedanta comes to one point, and you would say, well, why does he put this in? Well, remember, he is taking the essence 
of the essence. Now, how can we say the essence of the essence? What are we meaning there? Well, the handbook for Krishna consciousness is Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu has four divisions and a complete analysis of the details of devotional practice. Um, but he's given this book and then Rupa Goswami's given a simple 11 verses like you would just carry around as a reminder, as a, uh, you know, as a, as a key to uh, keeping your consciousness fixed. He's given 11 verses in Upadesha Amrita. So the essence of hearing is in these, these things are the essence of devotional practice. Here's the handbook with all the devotional practice, the, how we fix ourselves. Then we have this, this small condensed 11 verses and Bhakti Vinod, he's picked out two of those 11 which represent eight characteristics that are four favorable, I'm sorry, six that are favorable and six that are unfavorable and he's saying, so here's essence of the essence. So he's He's pointing this out. But he wants to make one other point, and he does make that point in this Bhaktyaloka in regards to Priyasa. And he wants to point out that there's one specific endeavor which is extremely harmful to the person desiring devotional service to the Supreme Lord. <coughs> he says the priyasa for attaining pratista or fame is the lowest kind of all priyasa. He goes on to say Sanatan Goswami has stated in the Hari Bhakti Vilas the concluding verse Sarvatwa Yahe Yata Sarvanartha Bhuvaschate Kuyu Pratis Tavistaya Yatnam Aparsane Varam Even if one can give up all material desires, the desire for fame is very difficult to give up. This desire for fame, which is compared to stool, is the root cause of all anarthas. Therefore, one should carefully avoid touching this stool-like desire for fame. Bhaktivinoda says, this instruction is extremely serious. The devotee should follow this exclusive duty with special care. So here in his book, he's talking about endeavors, and he's saying the endeavors for Gyan and the endeavors for karma are detrimental. But then he goes on to say, over and above those, there is one item of desire which is the most detrimental for devotion, and that's the desire for fame. Pratista. And 
he refers to it as the lowest kind of prayas. Should we continue into prajalpa? You certainly can. You said back towards the beginning that um, you know the pure devotee, the guru, the sadhu can carry one to, to the goal. Like someone engaged in bhakti yoga doesn't have to make a lot of endeavor, but just by following the guru, following the principles, that the the guru has enough connection with Krishna to carry them. Mm-hmm. So, it, but isn't that what you know? Like the iskan, like devotees, they're just thinking, okay, I just chant my sixteen rounds and follow the regulative principles, and Prabhupada's going to take me back to Krishna Loka. I don't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. We have no problem with that. Okay. We have a problem with a misrepresentation of. Of what all what is entailed in that simplistic uh, dialogue, it does not mean when we talk about obtaining the the mercy of Srila Prabhupada in such a way that that he's going to take us simply for following. Our following has to be understood in in a in a in the deeper context of following according to what is the essence of the Madha Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya. So when we say following Prabhupada, what do we mean? Do we mean following four simple uh, provisional uh, regulations? There are the there are the principles of devotional practice, and then there are some details. Simply to follow four simple details, does that, does that mean that I'm following the principle of becoming a Rupanuga? And to become a Rupanuga, I have to advance through the stages of devotional practice to actually get a taste, to simply say, well, if I can follow these details, then those details are sufficient to become principles and everything is covered in simple detailed instructions of avoiding a sinful life centered around truthfulness, cleanliness, austerity, and mercy. Where's the bhakti in that? Is bhakti included in simply avoiding those activities that are detrimental to to developing the simple characteristics of truthful cleanliness, austerity, and mercy? That's the beginning. That's the initiation that the guru may give. What we're going to we can if we just follow that little beginning, we can avoid all the other instructions that are involved in becoming a rupanuga a follow of Rupa Goswami and, and all the instructions that are prerequisite to advancing through the stages of Anartha Nivriti, Nista, Ruchi, Asakti, Bhava, Prem? No, I don't think that you can, you can say 
that's a pretty low comfort area to say, well, I can follow these little details and that means I'm following Prabhupada. Well, I don't think you've... There's a lot of books there that Prabhupada wrote. There's a lot of instructions in those books that certainly go a lot deeper than four regular principles and 16 rounds a day. How do we get to 16 pure rounds? What about that? What kind of rounds is he referring to that are going to make you qualified to follow a, a, a regatmika? Vraj. Do you know what a regatmika is? Do you know what it means to come to the stage of Raganuga Bhakti? A Raganuga is one that follows a regatmika. What does that mean? Do you know that? There's some information that the Guru gives so that we can advance to that deeper understanding and gain entrance. The door will open for us. Do we need a lot of detailed knowledge? No. You may say, well, you're talking about a bunch of Rasa Tattva, and that's just, you know, you, Ross, if you read too much of that, you're just going to become a Sahajiya. That's, that's not what it's about at all. The Guru can give us that information in a simple way that's, that's most revealing, and he can culture in us the mood that will take us through the progressive stages of devotional practice where we can reach those higher goals. To simply say, well, I'm following, Prabhupada said if I do this, I'm going to go back to Godhead. Okay, fine. He can take you back to Godhead for just doing, and if that's his desire, fine. No one will argue the potency of bhakti and that bhakti is at the disposal of the sadhu to use as he wants. But there may be some other things there. I would recommend that probably a deeper reading of his books would give you a a bit of a deeper understanding of what's involved in the process. That's how I'd answer that question. (laughs) But for you, if you want to think in that simplistic manner, that's fine. I would just... I would just say that's I'm fine. Not, I'm not, no, I'm not saying it for me that I just hear. I know that. that. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Yeah, everything's everything's cool. I'm following. I'm chanting my rounds. How are you chanting your rounds? What's in your mind? What's your intent? Are you are you dealing with these items? Prabhupada gave you the nectar of of instruction, Upadeshamrita. Do you know what all these items are of the do's and the don'ts and everything that's involved in them? Did he? Do you, can you say, well, I'm just following four regulative principles, but I don't really need to worry about these six things that are favorable and the six things that are unfavorable. Well, if you didn't need to worry about them, if you didn't need to take them into your practice so that your practice is nourished by them, why did Prabhupada take his time to write a book and translate into... English, the nectar, the nectar of the handbook, the nectar of devotion, then what did, we, what did he call this? Uh, nectar, of nectar of instruction. You're not going to take the nectar? You think if you don't take the elixir of pure devotional <laughs> practice that your guru's given you, He's saying, here's some nectar, you drink this. This is the elixir that will liberate you uh, from material mentalities in such a way that bhakti will enter your heart. 
And you say, no, 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 I'm following your regular principles. I'm chanting the rounds. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I wasted my time writing the book. I'm glad you're telling me I, that I didn't need to write the book for you. I, I think that would be a, fool, a fool's uh, proposition. I certainly wouldn't go to Prabhupada with such a thing. And to use that as... as that does not diminish the fact the pure devotee can do anything. I mean, that does not diminish the fact that Nichananda can can make Jagai and Madai, you know, bring them into the circle of devotees. It doesn't diminish that. They have full potency. They can do that at their discretion. But uh, I think we, we would... Uh, and that's that's where I see we get into a problem coming forth in our culture through how many generations of this Christianity mentality and it comes in and Prabhupada addresses it because when you look at the offenses to the holy name no one before Prabhupada put committing sins on the strength of chanting at the head of the list the first item is blaspheming the devotees in fact, that is the first item. The Prabhupada said, no, the most important one is the seventh item, to not commit sins. Wait, all the other sadhus are saying, don't offend the devotees, and he's saying, don't commit sins on the strength of chanting. This is the most important thing for you. For who? For his disciples. For you, this is the most important thing. Get that first. Blasphemy devotees is not as important for your devotional practice as that. And still, we have what? We have the Ritvik movement. And we have the closet Ritvik movement. And we have the veiled guru minimization by the large institution that is the what our spiritual master created. My spiritual master started a large institution to spread Krishna consciousness. And now it has a bunch of gurus who are well-intended and a bunch of GBCs that are well-intended, but what's become of What's it become? It's become a situation where it's be- my, the movement itself and the institution has become a memorial. We don't want that four regulative principles, 16 rounds, and Prabhupada will drag me back to Godhead by my Sika mentality. We want people that are going to spread Krishna consciousness, that are knowledgeable enough to be gurus in their own right and powerful enough spiritually to help their disciples go back to home, back to Godhead. The over-reliance on Prabhupada is being misused in a very unfortunate manner, in my opinion. So, you ask. Thank you. We'll stop there. Any other questions? Thank you very much for your association. Hare Krishna.